A quick message before we get into this week's episode. For longtime listeners of the show, you know that Ian and I have been very reluctant to add sponsors and to add recommendations to our podcast. Our priority is to you, to the writers and to the creators. And so we've held off to make sure that we can find partnerships that we feel good about and products that I can honestly recommend. And that's why I'm so excited to recommend this week's sponsor to you. Quillbot.com, Q-U-I-L-L-B-O-T.com. This is a tool that I am personally using to build a newsletter that I haven't announced yet, but it's it's been hugely beneficial for me. So Quillbot is a paraphrasing tool. And the way that I'm using it is I'm scrubbing long form articles that are very, very in-depth with information that I know my audience will really value and appreciate. And I copy that content and I paste it into Quillbot. And Quillbot paraphrases all of the text into a couple sentences, sometimes a couple paragraphs to really shorten and pack in the information, which allows me to better piece this information into a curated newsletter that I am sending out weekly. For people that listen, you know that you and I really, really believe in the newsletter space. We believe that newsletters are great businesses to start and and you should start one. If you want to get involved in online media and start creating a business for yourself, a newsletter is a great place to start. And this tool, Quillbot, has been so beneficial for me in building this curated newsletter that I'm working on. It makes it so that I can jam pack a lot of information into not a lot of space. And it really, really has helped me format my newsletter and provide the information to my readers in a way that I know they enjoy, in a way that I know they can quickly digest, in a way that I feel really proud about. So once again, check out this week's sponsor, quillbot.com, Q-U-I-L-L-B-O-T.com. It's easy to sign up and tell them that Tim sent you. All right, let's get on to the show. Eddie, thank you so much for joining me. You and I have been uh, chit-chatting back and forth for the last year or so, and I'm, I'm really excited to actually sit down and have a conversation with you. Welcome. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me on. It's, uh, we were talking right before we hit record uh, how, you know, how Copy Blogger affected both of our lives in different ways, obviously. Um, you know, in my, in my case, it was kind of like, it brings me, it gives me a lot of nostalgia because when I was learning about online business and about copywriting, that was one of the first resources that I discovered. So it's kind of come come full circle. It's interesting how we how we met through social media, which was, you know, long after Copy Blogger became a thing. Yeah, it's been a wild ride. Um, thanks again for the kind words. I, it's I'm still in shock about it honestly and it's been it's been about a year now but um but your comment actually transitioned perfectly to what i'd like to talk about a lot of people who know about copy blogger and about my work they know me more of like a blogger and about an seo and i've been really transparent about my journey especially on this podcast over the last year getting into social media and getting into to building a following on on other people's platforms and one of the reasons why i wanted to talk about what talk to you about it is because I think one of the things that you've done that 
has been smart and also like um and, and simple is that you just say use Twitter, use email, and you can get to a ten thousand dollar a month more business. Where my brain just doesn't work that way. I got too much shit spinning in my head at any different time, you know. So it's it's been difficult for me to focus. But but the simplicity of, of your message, I think, is is like really pertinent. So I, I'm I'm going to give this open ended for you. You know, you, you you have on your newsletter with Twitter and email, you can get up to ten thousand dollars a month. What, what does that mean exactly? How, how would somebody go about doing that? Yeah, I uh I was very lucky, Tim, um, that when I was learning about online business slash copywriting, one of the earliest guys I discovered, one of my I, I wouldn't call him a mentor, but like a big influence in my in my journey is uh is Ben Settle, who's very known for for email, right? And what I like about Ben's teaching is that obviously he's biased because he's he's known for, for email, but one of the things he he nailed into my head very early on is that you need to build your business around a platform you control um and like this aspect of ownership always stuck with me and you know that's that's what i love about email lists like it, it it's it's something that you actually control um and it's something where it's you know it i always like the simplicity of it because i think a lot of people when they discover again copywriting um, especially copywriting is that they get overwhelmed with the either the abundance of opportunities you can use on copyright you can leverage copywriting to to generate income right so like I'm looking at the blog, copy blog website right now you have under content marketing copywriting 101 internet marketing email marketing SEO landing pages sales pages and so like when you're coming across the stuff it's like it's overwhelming right you don't know what to do um, and so like me as someone who's always been like a simple minded individual, I've always been drawn towards what's simple and what works. And to me, like, it's just so simple. Like you build an email list, you send valuable content to that list, right? It's kind of like building a readership of, of, of blog readers, except that, you know, instead of like them fighting you through a Google search, um, they actually opt in to receive your email. So every time you send an email, it lands in their inbox, they read it. And then if there is an offer there that, that makes sense to them, they click on the link and they go buy it. It's, I just like how simple that is. But the other thing I like is that, like I said, you, you actually own that asset. So unlike social media, you know, who get that you, or, or even same with Google, right? If Google changes the algorithm, it screws up um, your website traffic. Whereas with an email list, like that just never changes. You know, as long as your emails are good and you have a reputable email service provider, like those emails are going to get into your inbox. Yeah, everything that you just said has been the backbone of what I've tried to do. Um, like you mentioned before, we were talking off mic for a bit and the way to generate the traffic in my case was always like SEO related. And in your case, it's been social media related. And when I say social media, like specifically Twitter X. So I guess my question to you is, is why Twitter? Out of all the platforms, it's it's the smallest in terms of the audience, even though it's, it's a, a lot more infiltrated into like public discussion, right? In terms of like users, it's still, it's still the smallest. I mean, I think Snapchat and stuff like that is, is a little bit smaller, but it's 
compared to Facebook and Instagram and all that, it, it's definitely probably, I don't know, a 10th of the size. So yeah. why Twitter? Like out of all the platforms, why did you choose that one? Yeah. At the risk of like coming off as a snob, but I've, be, I've always felt, I've always believed that um, people who read are, are, are tend to be a little bit more intelligent and have a higher caliber than people who don't read. And so just from like a, from a readership standpoint, I've always been drawn towards Twitter just because of the text. It, well, at least when it started, I, that may be changing. We can talk about that later. But when it started, it was always a, it was the only social media that was tech driven. And like, remember, like I come, I'm a little older, I guess, like, well, I think we're similar age Tim. where I didn't grow up with social media. Okay, cool. I'm 38. So like, I didn't grow up with social media. Okay. So social media, I never liked it. Um, but I made an exception for Twitter because, like I said, it was text-based. You're reading, people are writing. Um, the the content I I felt was always of a higher caliber. Um, you know, the the conversations and the content that I was seeing on Twitter as a consumer was always more interesting to me. Like I I was never interested in in, in Instagram because it's just like all lifestyle photos and stuff. And um, I mean that's improved, but like these days. But like back then, I was never really interested in Instagram. Um, YouTube, yes, I think YouTube is fantastic. But again, just being a reader myself, I've, I've always preferred to read than I have to watch videos or, or look at images. And so just as a consumer, I've just always been drawn towards Twitter. And so like when it came to, when it came time to build an audience, it was a natural transition for me because it was just purely because it's a written format. I think... You're right. It's a smaller global audience than, say, Facebook, um, Instagram, and so forth. But uh, that that never even occurred to me. Like to me, it was very simple. It text it text driven. Um, I'm comfortable reading and creating content in text form. Uh, so I'm you know that was the natural natural path. I, I do want to dig into what you talked about in terms of potential changes with Twitter. Um, you tweeted recently, I should, I should have just pulled up the tweet. I remember reading it and saying like, yeah, Metal Note, I gotta um, remember that, but something like, I believe that X is going to be the future of social. There's going to be audio. There's going to be spaces. There's going to be video. There's going to be text all into one platform. So again, kind of open-ended question as somebody that, has been in the what, what what is it that like you understand the culture of Twitter better mm -hmm. because all these platforms do kind of have their own like little subcults right they all yeah. think certain things are cool and they think other things aren't cool right as somebody who's been in there a while what what do you think is going to happen what's going to be more important on Twitter what's going to be less important on Twitter like how how is somebody prepared for the future yeah, that's a, that's an excellent question. So let's break it down. Let's look at the big picture. So um, we talked about the value of like why I like being text based. But the other thing that I forgot to mention, and one thing that I think this is really what makes Twitter unique, aside from what I talked about with the text based stuff, is that it's it's what it's like the place where where people come together and have conversations about current events about what's yeah. happening in the world right now. That's, to me, that's always what's made Twitter unique. So if you are a sports fan and you want to talk about the latest match or whatever is happening in the world of sports, you go to Twitter. 
right? If you if you're interested in politics, um, and you want to you want to get the gossip on like the latest political controversy, you go to Twitter. Um, it's it's where people have live conversations. I think David Perel, um, had the best analogy for it. He calls he calls Twitter the the town square of the internet, and so it's it's the best place. Uh, it's the only social media where people can come together and engage in conversation about what's happening in the world today. Okay, and so traditionally that was not a text format, but because how, of how advanced technology is now, and we see that with spaces, we're now re- migrating towards live content, and that's when it's going to get really exciting. Okay, um, we we've seen the um, the changes in the algorithm lately, where you know. People who publish content on Twitter, they're not they're not getting as much engagement on their posts as they used to. Where what Twitter's trying to do is really try to get people to have live conversations on the platform. And so that's why your comments and your retweet quotes and spaces, um, they tend to get more engagement now because they want you on the platform having conversations in live time. And so I think the future is going to be more, uh, I think spaces is going to get a lot more advanced. So I think it's going to go from live audio conversations to live video conversations. Um, I don't know when that's going to kick in, but I, I, I would not be surprised if, if Elon and his team are building that technology in the back end. Um, he's already mentioned that he's going to bring bring in a call feature. So you can like now have audio calls with people through DMs and video calls. And so why wouldn't he connect that with, with the spaces feature? But yeah, the point is, um, it's just good. It's going to be more live conversations. And like, I think we're going to start seeing like in like video webinars and things like that all coming together on, on X. You might be right there. I, okay. I like to keep this podcast like tactical. I like to learn from people who are smarter than me, but every once in a while I'll dive into some of the esoteric. Uh, <laughs> madness of of the internet and so let, let's dive into this for a little bit i want your opinion because i think about live and i think about this vision that it seems like elon is trying to uh, bring into reality where he he wants it to be uh, what is it in china wechat or something like the everything yeah, app WeChat. yeah 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 i think totally. it's WeChat. yep I, I think so too if i got that wrong um forgive me but what I'm seeing is examples over and over and over again, where in the American markets or just the Western markets, let's call it, the ability to create products that specialize in a certain thing and like be the best at that thing seems to be the way that we like to interact with each other. So for instance, Instagram has had video chat for years. I think I can do it on Facebook. I think I can do it on WhatsApp, right? I've used video chat on WhatsApp a few times when I'm talking to some of my friends who are international, but I'll, I never, ever see myself ever using Twitter for a video chat when I could just FaceTime somebody. Like we've, mm-hmm. we've created these little pockets of technology that seem to be the best for a specific thing as opposed to like a one thing that does everything because you can do that in a country like china where they just basically say this is the one thing for everything but i think it's really really difficult to implement that when yeah the video chats that i could have on twitter 
might be pretty good, but it's not going to be as good as a company that only does video chat, right? So again, we're getting into like the esoterics of, of social media, but I spend a lot of time thinking about this as well. And I guess from your, your viewpoint, like how would I even go about trying to to do that? Should I spend time trying to get better at some of these newer products that, you know what, here, here's how, here's how I'll ask the question. You've been doing spaces recently. Mm-hmm. Have mm-hmm. you seen spaces being advantageous for your growth on Twitter? Yeah, I think, um, so I gauge my growth on Twitter in, in the unconventional way. So like most people, what they do is they, they do, they, they look at the obvious things, the obvious metrics. So they're, they're like, well, my follower count's going up. My likes are going up. My retweets are going up. Therefore, I'm growing on Twitter, right? I don't think of it that way. I think of it as like, I look at things like, for example, how many people are looking at my profile? Because like, if they if your, if your content doesn't make them think about stop and pause, then, yeah. and look at your profile, then it's not really resonating with it. The other thing I look at, and this is the most important metric that people don't measure, is the quality of inbound messages you're getting. Now, mm-hmm. you're the second person to have told me that you're you seeing me everyone's spaces. That's intentional. I'm intentionally trying to get on more space. And I've noticed in the back end, I'm getting way more DMs from way higher quality people just randomly DMing me saying, Hey, I love that thing, that point you made on spaces. I love that email you wrote. I love that long form post you wrote uh, lately. Uh, I'm getting more, uh, even though my engagement, overall engagement is way down like everyone else. Um, yeah. The quality conversations I'm getting in the back end have gone way up. And that is the most important thing to me. So, um, yeah, so that's that's how I know that my appearance on these spaces is, is, is having an impact. Now, here's what's, interesting from a behavioral standpoint of why spaces is uh is um powerful so the same reason why we're doing this podcast podcasts are, are like kind of like the i think who was it that was i think it was uh the the guy who does founders um he was comparing podcasting to like the the um what's that uh Project Gutenberg, the, the the Gutenberg era, like the printing press era. He was saying sure. like this is this is like the printing press era of of technology right now with with podcast and 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 I think that's because there is something primal about listening to stories and like listening to someone's voice. It's most direct challenge to get into your head. That's why music is so powerful, and so that's why spaces is, is such a valuable uh, feature because. You know, you you could read a million posts from someone, but unless they're like a really, really good writer, it is not going to influence and impact you the way audio content is going to impact you, right? Uh, I spoke to an email marketer recently. This is a really good tip. I know you talk about like the importance of technical tips. So this is a great technical tip for the email marketers listening to this. He said that if you can get someone to listen to your voice Early on in your email sequence, what happens is they end up reading your emails in your voice. And that to me was like something that's super powerful. Because like imagine if you had like a very unique voice like a Tony Robbins, 
and you opted into Tony Robbins' email list, and the first thing you got after the, you know, when, when you opted to the email list, the back you page is like a 20-second clip of Tony Robbins. Now you're reading all of his emails in, in that heavy, like, thick voice that he's known for having. It's going to influence you subconsciously in, in ways that more powerful than if you hadn't read the emails in his voice. Or if you opted into Arnold Schwarzenegger, like Arnold Schwarzenegger, the email, what's that, which is, which makes me laugh. Um, imagine like reading his emails in his voice versus reading it in like a neutral reading voice. It's a completely different experience. And that's something you don't really think about. And so that's that little rant, Tim, that's like, like, that's why I'm so optimistic about audio and specifically about spaces. Just the fact that you can, that people can hear your voice. I guarantee there are people who follow me now, who've heard me on the space, who now read my tweets in my voice. They may not think about it, but I, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure they do that. This is such a cool topic. So there's, I, I wrote a bunch of stuff down because there's a lot I want to unpack here. I'm going to start with a little bit of a statement, which you don't necessarily have to react to, but this is the way that I think about it. In terms of all of the video chat and all that, I don't see that going anywhere. I think Spaces is probably the the biggest opportunity for Twitter. And, mm -hmm. I, and I'll tell you what I compare it to. We we started calling Twitter microblogging in the early days. And mm. a lot of people, they hear the word blog, but they don't actually know what that means. It stands for mm -hmm. weblog. It just basically means that you have a feed of content that you can post, which is under one URL, as opposed to making static pages. So Twitter is basically a blog, but it's just mm. microblogs. And so... Twitter is microblogging, and I think Spaces is like micro podcasting. Where if I'm on Twitter, I'm not necessarily looking to listen to like an hour long conversation the same way I would on a podcast. The same way I'm not on Twitter to read, for me personally, you know, like a 2,500 word article. I'm just looking for like little bite sized pieces. And so I, I think you're totally right with the micro podcasting. And with the spaces. But the the one thing that I thought was so, so interesting there is that uh, recently, since I started this podcast, all of the messages that I've been getting from people where they feel like they know me, where it's not just some random DM, like, hey, it, it all starts with, I've been listening to your podcast and I love how whatever, whatever, whatever. And they're, like, you're right. There's just a primal, authentic relationship building that happens through voice that can't happen through the written word. And this was like difficult for me to come to grips with because I'm like, I'm a writer. I can explain myself through writing. I yeah. still struggle to talk, you know, like I have a, a Philly accent and I feel like, you know, people listen to me like this fucking hood rat on the mic, you know what I mean? But, uh, but I'm, I'm forcing myself to do it because of that relationship. And when you mentioned getting somebody to listen in your voice, um, I've, I've known Pompliano for a little while. He's not necessarily like a friend of mine, like similar to us. We're just like Twitter buddies, you know? And when I would read his newsletter, he would put the Substack podcast version at the front of his newsletter. And every time I would listen to his newsletter, I, I swear I'm reading it in his voice. And that's just a, a really, really perfect example. So, so man, there's like so much there that I think is important for people to get in front of. And I guess the specific question to ask you is like, now that you're coming with this new uh, framework on audio and like, let's just call it micro podcasting because we don't have a different word for it. How are you, 
how are you trying to implement that? Is your goal just to get on as many spaces as possible? Are you are you using spaces for like a, a specific agenda? What's your plan? Yeah, that's a great. Um, man, so much to unpack there. Uh, first of yeah. all, I love that reframe of micro podcasting. I actually wrote that down. I, I, I rarely take notes when I'm uh, a guest on the podcast, but I wrote that down, micro podcasting. Um, so just to rewind there a little bit, uh, and I don't want to get too behavioral here because I tend, I tend to do that a lot. But I think one of the reasons why audio, again, Tim, is so powerful is, you know, it's the first... You know, if you, th- if you think about it, when you're a baby, like your your mom and your dad are speaking to you before you can even s- speak a language, and so that's why it's so primal, in my opinion. Like you, you know, your 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 parents are literally speaking to you in a language you don't yet comprehend when you when you are born, and so like it's that that's why it's such a a voice and audio content is so powerful. But anyway, I don't want to get into that. But like, but uh, to answer your question, right now I'm in I'm still in in the exploration stage. Where I just want to be seen everywhere, so I'm I'm hosting podcast. Um, see, I'm already you already you already got me, Tim. I already I I just call it a podcast instead of a uh, space hosting spaces. I'm I'm joining as a guest to spaces. I'm listening in on spaces. Like for example, um, two weeks ago, I don't know if you follow, but there's a, there's, a, there's a great account if you guys want to learn about X. There's a great great account called NFT God, and he's he's making. A lot of noise on the um, talking about growth and monetization on X. So I just casually listened in on one on one of um, on his spaces like two weeks ago, and he gave me a shout out. He like uh, he was yes. he was having a discussion about um, I don't even remember what the topic was. Oh, he was talking about long form posts, and he gave me a shout out. He's like, "Oh, I want to get Eddie on stage because I want to hear his opinion because he's he's one of my favorite writers." Whoa, whoa! I didn't even know this guy even followed me, um, and so yeah, just being seen everywhere. Um, it that that's kind of my my intention right now. It's just to be seen everywhere. Like like I said, like I I know for a fact, behaviorally, that your voice is um is very very influential. And so my goal right now, man, is just to like host as many spaces as I can and jump in as many spaces as I can. Like, like I'll go for a walk, Tim, and like I open up my X app. If there, if there is a space that's on. somewhat related to me, I I would just join, even if I'm not speaking. I would just listen in. Um, and here's not a little tip for you, for you, for you people who are using Twitter. That little face of yours, that profile picture, that is by far the most important aspect of your profile. Because what's going to happen now, Tim, is that when people join other spaces and they keep seeing my face, yeah, pop up. The fact that that they see me on every single space, that in itself is persuasive, because they see me everywhere, um, and so there there's that network effect I'm trying to go for. But like the the, the short answer to your question, I don't really have um, any long term plans right now beyond just being on as many spaces and just being exposed to as many spaces and seeing how people how different people are using it differently. And just basically, just, I'm just learning. I'm just like a kid right now, just experimenting and learning as much as I can about spaces because I just, it's just a gut feeling that I just, I know that spaces is going to take off. It's going to be the next big thing. Someone else was saying the other day that the next Joe Rogan, the Joe Rogan of spaces is going to be born in the next five, 10 years. I don't know about that. 
but like, but I think that guy was onto something. Yeah. Soon. Well, okay. Thank you for going down that rabbit hole with me. <laughs> I enjoy those conversations a lot. Uh, we're almost 30 minutes into this and I realized that I haven't actually talked about you and, and your business yet. So let me, uh, let me switch gears a little bit and, and, and talk about what you're doing. I had Dakota on yesterday, or excuse me, last week, last, last episode. And the comment that I made to him is he's a little bit stealth in his products or his services. He doesn't necessarily promote his revenue streams as much as he just promotes himself. And then I think the business comes to him and, uh, I've tinkered around your, your profile for quite a while. I know your newsletter, right? And like, honestly, till this day, I'm still not totally sure like what it is that you do. <laughs> is that uh is that intentional? Do you like to to keep your services and your products like on the down low? Do you think that that helps you make more money, or are you just trying to build your your personal brand, your platform as big as possible and, and, and see what happens to it. I'd love for you to just just go where go wherever you're gonna go with that. I, I wanna I wanna hear the ramble. No, it's not it's not really intentional. It's kind of just accidental. Uh, a lot of it's, it's, it's just my fault. So like I've done a few different things. So when I first got on Twitter, I'll give you guys a little backstory. So my goal with getting on Twitter was to build my own audience because I was freelancing before that. I was doing freelance email copywriting. Um, and I would get clients by sending cold emails. And it was fine. I got some work. I made some money. I got clients. But it was just kind of like I was sort of getting tired of the freelance grind. I wanted something of my yeah. own. So that was my uh, reasoning for starting an audience. And then what happened was I grew very quickly on Twitter and people started DMing me for help about on Twitter. And then ghostwriting was born. So I started ghostwriting for people. Like I started writing content for other creators and just helping them build your audience as well. I mainly worked with people in the health space. Um, so like CEOs of, of econ brands, uh, fitness fitness coaches, anyone in the health space. I, I didn't do that intentionally, by the way. That just happened to be a, a niche I was kind of familiar with. So I did some ghostwriting for a while. And a bulk of my income came from doing client work as a uh, as an email copywriter and also as a ghostwriter. The reason why you don't see me talk about that a lot is because I just don't. I don't. For some reason I just don't really talk about it too much. Um, because as I started building my audience, I was starting to get inbound. A lot. A lot of the clients came to be inbound. So like people would yeah. reach out to me. So for example, I, I I would just. It's just the beautiful thing about, about Twitter and social media. Um. You just make connections with people. So, like, you start talking to people in the, in the oh, DM. Really? So, like, I have a lot of people, for example, a lot of fitness coaches in my circle. I just talk to them. And occasionally, they ask me for help. So, sometimes, they'll be like, you know what? Uh, my engagement sucks. Like, I'm struggling with this component of my business. And I'll ask them, well, okay, your engagement sucks. Do you have an email list? And they're like, yeah, I have an email list. And they'll say, well, are you sending offers to that list? And they're like, no, I'm not. And I'm like, well, I can help you make get some clients for your email list like you want help with that and they would if they would become a client and so I, I did a lot of client work in the back end but um but i didn't i never had to really promote those services because i would just get referrals and inbound leads organically through my network 
So what I'm working on right now is that, so I have a course on email marketing for right once, so twice, which I promote through my email list. Um, but right now I'm in the process of like re reworking my entire backend. So I just launched a, uh, a four week cohort, for example, teaching people how to build your email lists. Um, I, I didn't promote that on Twitter. I promote that on my list because my entire business model is to use Twitter uh, to build my email list. And then I, I sell things through my email list. Or, yeah. or like I said, if I if I'm gonna get if I get inbound clients, then that happens through my DMs, which you don't see obviously. Um, so that's what's happening right now. Like I think my goal is like you know by next year, I'll have um, you know a whole range in my offer stack, which I just sell through my emails. That makes a lot of sense. I I love how I have this. Um, concepts, I guess, or this idea that the first thing that anybody should do if they want to be an entrepreneur is to start with a service business. And the people yes. that listen to me are probably sick of hearing this by now, but it's just, I cannot understand this this drive or how, uh, what is it, like the, the social carrots and sticks about how the cool thing to do is start uh, a SaaS product and cash out on like $10 billion or something. That just doesn't make any sense to me because yeah. You know, freelancing is a grind. You use the word properly, but it's instantly profitable. Yep. You don't have to like do anything. You just need a client, right? Like you don't need a website. You don't need a marketing budget. You don't need anything. You just need a client and now you're making money. Yeah. And then the skills you learn through that freelancing, it's almost like you get paid <laughs> to build your platform which is the exact opposite of what school is. You know, at school, you have to pay somebody to teach you so that you can use what you learn to build your platform or to build your career or whatever. Whereas yeah. with freelancing, like you're literally getting paid to learn and compound your platform in the process. And so I, yeah. I love that you started with that and then you used your knowledge and you, you productized it into a way where you could scale it to like that next level and then you took that again, and now you're scaling it to the next level, which is 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 products and and a cohort. So um, I just I'm always thrilled when people use that model, and it it, it reminds me that like okay, no, I'm actually on to something with this. This is the best advice to give to somebody else. Yeah, man. I think um, I, I put a lot of this blame on the on the aspect of like make money online because like. I'm the, I I completely get it. When I first when I first started googling how to make money online, all the sexy business models were things like, oh, you can just like put together a ten dollar PDF and just sell it, you know. But it's like what they don't tell you is like, you know, it's not easy to get traffic. Like getting traffic is not like you just put together a PDF totally and agree. just buy. Um, you have to build that traffic, and that that's not easy to do, you know. Um, so. So I think there's just a lot of um, ignorance that comes with that. And, you know, that that blame partly goes to people who are overly ambitious. It's also partly to do with, there's, there's, I mean, let's be honest, there's a lot of scammy internet marketers out there who, who sell the dream of like, you know, I'm, you're going to be, you're going to be a millionaire selling your $10 PDF or you're going to, you're, you're going to build your SaaS and exit $5 billion, just sell it to freaking, yeah, Facebook will buy your SaaS. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like it's just not gonna happen. Um, as you say, like the 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 simple, and yes, the very very boring path if you're looking to uh, monetize online is is to 
is to build a skill set. And then like, thankfully, social media, that's like a big shortcut now. Now you can you can start a freelancing business and you can build a an audience while you're doing that on the side. And then it, it may not happen today. You know, maybe you have to grind it out for, for 12 months or even two years. But, you know, in, in a couple of years time, you're going to have your own business based around your name if you do things correctly. Yeah, I, I love to hear that. Sometimes I have a personal newsletter from my own site. And uh, and sometimes I, I find myself running out of things to say because I'm like, I don't have anything to tell you other than just keep doing the same thing over and over again for like a couple of years. You know, and like sometimes I'm just honest about it. Like, hey, look, I know that you guys are looking for uh, some kind of shortcut or even just a piece of advice to get you some momentum. And I'll share all my experience with you. But it just wasn't like that for me. You know, for me, it was I just woke up every day and I wrote blog posts on on Sobernation. Then I got better and then I got better and then I got better. (laughs) So, so yeah, I I totally agree. I'm going to save. I'm going to get off my high horse on that one um, and, and talk about this last subject, which you know, you are the third person in probably two months to talk about ghostwriting. And I never thought it was an actual viable business. And I had this with the mm-hmm. same conversation with Dakota mm-hmm. uh, last week, but man, it just seems like this is more and more pertinent because what did you talk about? You're talking about CEOs in the healthcare space, you know, CEOs in, in the e-com space. People are busy and people don't want to deal with growing an audience on Twitter, especially people that have businesses to run. And the more and more I see this, the more I think like, wow, this is a real thing. You know, ghostwriting is a real thing. It's not some kind of like a just little fling on the side that that doesn't really amount to much, right? Like this is a real deal business model now in a way that it wasn't five or 10 years ago because people are busy and busy people need to have audiences like that. You just like it or not, a personal brand is such a huge asset that CEOs are just willing to pay for Like, yeah, sure. Here's some money. Build my shit for me. So with that being a little bit of a, um, a runway for, for you to talk about it, what do you think the future of ghostwriting looks like? Is that a viable business for somebody who's listening to this to start? Or is it just still like a come and go type deal? Okay, I don't think it's a good business to start because because I get this a lot. Like people with like some 18 year old kid with like 100 followers would DM me and say, hey, I can help you. I can help blow up your brand. And no, they don't realize how silly like five that times looks. a day. Dude, they don't, they don't realize the irony of it. It's like, I have 155,000 yeah. followers. You have 100 followers, and you're telling me you're going to blow up my brand. It, it, it doesn't make any sense. Let's just say I have like 1,000 followers. It still doesn't make any sense, right? And so I think it's it's on the on paper. The, this is, again, it comes from ignorance. On paper, Ghost Friday sounds really viable. Oh, you just learn how to write tweets, and you just do it for someone else. But it's not as simple as it, as it sounds. You have to have to. I know it sounds crazy, but tweet writing, building an audience—that is an actual. That in itself is a skill set, and to develop a skill set, you have to practice it. As you were saying, just like blog, it's it's no different than blog writing, in a, in in the sense that you have to develop the skill. You have to actually practice it, 
And so I don't think it's a viable skill set um, for beginners. Uh, in terms of where it's going in the future, I, I actually think, I, I you know, ghost writing's been around for a long time. It's not it's not anything new. Like we just we just think of it as ghost writing on that little corner on Twitter. But like freaking politicians and and, and celebrities, they have these people called publicists. That's what a ghost writer is. They just they build their public persona. Okay. The reason why Donald Trump was such an interesting politician is because when you read when you read his tweets, you know there's no publicist behind that. It's just him dishing out his raw thoughts. That's what that was his advantage, right? When you, whereas if you read a tweet or a post, social media post from your average senator or your average politician, you know that's not that senator is sitting there writing those posts. Yeah, and right. so I think the future of, of ghostwriting is you either go like the the you either go the um the very vanilla safe corporate route where you're putting out content that that has viral appeal, okay, um that that's that's on the safer side and like where it's like yeah okay we 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 know that's not tony robbins actually sitting there writing those posts we know it's not you know whatever politician sitting there writing those posts and we're cool with that it's just you know it's his publicist or it's it's his ghostwriter or you have a ghostwriter who's just very good at what he does and he 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 takes the time to interview the client to research the client to nail his tone of voice to nail his uh the way he speaks maybe even incorporate some sort of AI in, in, in that research. And he puts out content that's like so authentic that you can't tell if, if there's a ghostwriter or not, you know? Um, you know, I, I know for a fact that a lot of the best-selling books that you see that, um, you know, Michelle Obama wrote this best-selling book, you know that Michelle Obama was sitting there freaking typing up, sitting there on her, on her MacBook, typing those words, right? I, I, I don't think the average person knows that. Um, I mean, I'm aware of that. I know it took me a long time to learn that, but I, I'm pretty sure there's a period of my life where I thought, hey, that new, um, the, the last US president who just launched that autobiography, he actually sat down and wrote that book. Like, no, <laughs> it's his ghostwriter. Yeah, I, I remember learning that James Patterson has a writing machine for him at this yeah. point he doesn't even write his own novels anymore he just built this process to teach other people how to follow this framework of publishing a james patterson novel so he's a little bit different because he he is a writer you know yeah. he did start his own stuff but the point i'm trying to make is yeah like the veil on, on my eyes was um uncovered i suppose is the expression as well when i learned that where it's like whoa there is a whole lot more to this than people sitting on a typewriter and like expressing their their truest creative self right um yeah yeah fascinating and, and i totally agree like i drastically underestimated what creating an audience on social media meant and mm. how hard it was and i like one of my advantages and also one of my curses in life is that i'm <laughs> i'm like too scottish and too philly and just too stubborn to quit stuff you know i'm just like a mule and so I was like, I can't, I can't quit this. I have to figure out how to do it. And so luckily, um, it's been working. And it's it's one of the most powerful assets I've been able to develop is my audience on social Sorry, media, but, but like, still what, what, specifically what, what, what on were your Twitter. Expectations, what were your expectations coming in? And like, what surprised you the most? Sorry to cut you off, but like, I, I, I need to know that. 
No, it's fine. I, I, I really appreciate it. My expectation coming in was that the organic aspect of it would happen similar to blogging, where it's like, if I just keep doing this, eventually people will find me. And that isn't the case with social media. The case with social media is that you have to like get in the action, right? Yeah. You can't just be on the sidelines and put good stuff out there. And then through organic search and just through people's natural questions that they have, they'll discover you. That You don't really get discovered on social media the same way that you do online. You get, I don't know if there's a different word for it because like, of course you're being discovered, but you, you get discovered through like active participation. You have to be in the party, you know, like you yeah. have to be on the dance floor. And yeah. so that was, that was absolutely the, the realization for me that it took me probably, it took me like a year and a half to figure that out. And then when I did, um, you know, that's, I start getting into threads and then you start playing the game a little bit. Like you call up your friend. Like I remember calling Ethan when he was, uh, doing the hustle. I was like, man, I just wrote this really long thread about um, local media sites. And I know that you've been working on this stuff with the hustle. Like, is there any chance that you guys could feature this in your newsletter? And instead of featuring a blog post, like he featured a thread, right? And that one thing alone, I remember getting a thousand followers. I was sitting on my back porch uh, in when I lived in Nashville and yeah. seeing it. And that was definitely one of those click moments where it's like, oh, okay. I don't just write stuff and get discovered like i write stuff and then i get in on the action and that yeah that for sure was the biggest lesson i learned yeah i think people it sounds so it sounds so simplistic right because it's literally written in the name social media like the media totally. is social um and it's it's very easy to for the people to fall in love with the gimmicks the algorithm the features um i've always yeah, and I, I've definitely fallen into that trap. But like, what I always try and do is like, I always try and approach social media from a from a human behavioral standpoint. Like, to me, social media is one of the most fascinating human behavior experiments that we've ever conducted as a society. Um, you know, overall, has it is it has it been more more good than bad? I don't know about that. I I would argue it's probably on the edge of more damage than it is done more damage than good. Um, but the other day I, I, I remain an optimist. So I, I do think, you know, I, I jump back and forth. Like on one hand, like I don't like that. It's frying that TikTok is just destroy, literally destroying people's lives from a young age. I hate yeah. that. But on the other hand, I was thinking the other day about how like I've literally transformed my health my, my physical health and my financial health purely because of social media. Like, like I, I learned online business through social media. I learned a lot about my health through social media, uh, about my, my general sense of well-being. I learned through a bunch of creators who I discovered through social media. So there is that, but like as a society and on a societal level, I'm, I'm uncertain whether it's been like a good or a bad experiment. And so, like, I've always approached social media, like, growing on social media, monetizing social media from a, from a behavioral standpoint. If I can give you guys, like, a little tip on that, like, you're, you're going to learn more about Twitter growth and monetization by studying human behavior than you will from, like, any ta tactical things. No question. Uh, if, if it doesn't 
create an emotional response, it's basically nothing. Yeah. Uh, I'm not like a FOMO person. Um, I can be. And I, I'm not by any means saying that that's wrong because it's very, very effective. I just feel better about myself if I share stories in my life that inspire people, hopefully, or maybe give like a warning. I'm not, I'm not doing, you know, like doom posting. It's more so like, oh. hey, this is a mistake I made. And so sure, like the emotion is fear, but it's, it's just more subtle and it's not intentionally trying to make people fearful. Uh, yeah. So I, I agree with you there. I am, I'm with you though. Like I'm optimistic. Every time I, I start to, don't get me started on TikTok. TikTok is like poison. And I really, really mean that. <laughs> Dude, I refuse. You know, I don't know if I'm just an old man, but like I, I just refuse to use it. I, I, everyone keeps telling me, you got to you put your videos on TikTok. I'm like, I download the app and I delete it. I open it for like two seconds and I just think, no, this is, this is just cancer for your brain. <laughs> it is. I, I agree with you there. Um, all right, man. So let, let's let's start wrapping this thing up. Um, I have a, a a closing tradition on this podcast. When you see how far you've come, and when you get done your work on on, a, on an average day, and you you tap in for the night, you're eating your dinner, you're putting your head on your pillow. What is the big vision that you are seeing for yourself? This this idealist version that you're you're going for that you don't that you don't tell anybody, right? Like what's the secret dream that you keep to yourself that sometimes you you dream about and you think it could possibly happen? Where are you going? Oh man, my long-term vision, I've never mentioned this publicly in a podcast, but like one day I will write a work of fiction. Um, I Like I know it's like a, when I was a kid, uh, I've always, I've always been like into story. That's why story is like a big theme in my content. Um, my first, story love was 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 90s movies 80s and 90s movies so i was a big i was and still am a big steven spielberg fan you know um i'll never forget watching indiana jones and temple of doom for the first time as like a little kid and like being blown away by that when he ripped his heart out i like know exactly where i was like i can smell it the the scene on the on the bridge when he's like to chop off the bridge oh my god it still gets me every time and so like I've always been drawn this towards stories and then my second love when I started getting older was like reading books and reading reading novels and um, I've always been drawn towards text and writing as, as as you know and I think that the reason why I was so drawn towards copywriting and business writing is because. I just I I love to write, and I think that in many ways, and no offense to copywriters and marketers, but I think it, in my personal case, I went to copywriting as a way to make a living because I didn't have the balls to do fiction writing from the from the get go. So now that my I'm like I'm pretty confident that like my business is generating good cash flow. Now I finally have the confidence to be like, you know what, on the side I'm gonna start write, working my novel. And so, like, that's what I think about when I go to bed every night. Like, my long-term vision is, like, I want to be an author. I want to write my own books. Um, you know, the marketing stuff, really, was just a way for me to get confidence in my own writing ability. And I know it sounds a little cheesy, but, like, I, th- I think that, that that's really what's been going on in my mind lately. Beautiful. I love to hear that. Have, have you ever read The Library at Mount Char? The what, Sorry. The Library at Mount Char. I'll send it no. to you. It's a book that I'm I'm recommending to everybody these days. Yeah. I've never read anything like it. 
it fucking just exploded my brain. I couldn't stop talking about it. So, um, yeah, I'll grab your address from when we get off. I'll, I'll send you that book. It's called The Library at Mount Char. It's it's so good. You're gonna oh, love I'll it. I appreciate that. And then and here's a little fun fact, Tim. And uh, this is where it, it really tied together for me. I discovered a lot of my favorite authors. They were all copywriters. They worked at like massive ad agencies. Um, Cormac McCarthy is probably my, you know, he died recently. One of my favorite American author of all time. Uh, he worked for for a period in an ad agency. There's With another the road, road, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, he Don died. DeLillo, he died like a few months ago. Yeah, he was old, yeah. you know, like in the nineties. Um, no way. But a ton of these, a ton of authors, a ton, like a surprising amount of authors, they all got their start in advertising. And I've always had the suspicions because with advertising, with copywriting, yeah, it, there is a little bit of creativity involved in coming up with angles and coming up with the hooks and discovering the big idea. It's it, the, the process, I think it's similar to fiction writing in that you're coming up with an idea, you're creating some sort of story around it, except, you know, in in fiction, you're, you're, you're selling the characters, you're selling the world, whereas like in advertising, you're selling a product. But there's always like some sort of story, some sort of narrative behind that. And I think a lot of them, they did advertising as a way to pay the bills, but their dream was always to like, you know, tell stories. And so it's, I see myself in a similar light. Like, you know, my long-term vision, like I don't really, I like marketing, but like, it's not my dream, you know? Yeah, that's amazing. I've always thought it's because of the deadlines. Like copywriters have to hit deadlines and <laughs> creative red writers, they, it's hard to finish work right because like what do you do when you can do anything and so i i've always thought that the reason why those copywriters transform or uh what's the word not transform like it, it caters itself well to uh to fiction writers is simply because they're good at like sitting down and actually writing and then yeah. showing up the next day and sitting down and, and like finishing um so i agree man all right this was like one of the longest episodes i've, I've ever done i had so much fun talking to you eddie thank you so much um I'll send you that book. When you publish your book, please be sure to let me know. I will, I will be the first one to buy it. Um, oh, hell oh, yeah. And then crap. So Twitter is at War on Weakness, I believe, is your yes. handle. Yes. And then um, to join your email list, I think it's join.ediquan.com, right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Amazing. Um, all of that will be linked up in the show notes. To see the show notes for this podcast, go to copybloggerpod.com. You can sign up for the email list. We have like a really awesome newsletter here because we break uh, the podcast down into some bite-sized quotes. So if you don't have time to listen to the whole episode, you can read the newsletter and, and get some of the, the best parts in the written format like we just talked about. So Eddie, once again, man, I, I enjoyed every second of talking to you. Thank you so much. And I look forward to, uh, to reading your book. It's been an absolute pleasure, Tim. Thanks for having me.